Welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet, the podcast that helps advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families understand the complexities of issues related to our mental, physical, and emotional well-being. Our co-hosts, Arden O'Connor and Diana Clark, will interview a series of guests on a range of topics, providing informative content and practical tools for professionals and families to consider. Here are your hosts, Arden and Diana. Hi, and welcome to an episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet Podcast. Today's guest is Alex Brown. He is the founder and principal of Recover Hospitality, a consulting company and travel agency dedicated to increasing the accessibility of the hospitality industry for individuals who are struggling with mental health, wellness, and in particular, substance use disorders. Alex grew up in a family business that owned and operated hotels, so he understands the industry from both the inside and as a traveler. He is a person in long-term recovery, and we're going to talk about what that means and what his journey was in reintegrating travel back into his life as well. He is a graduate of Rollins College, and he's currently at UMass in Boston getting his master's in social work. Thank you for joining us today, Alex. Welcome. Thank you, Diana. I'm glad to be here. So let's talk about your journey a little bit, how you wound up doing what you do. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, I was working in the hospitality industry as a food and beverage manager uh, in 2000, well, for most of my uh, adult life. Um, but uh, in the hospitality industry, addiction and substance use is really ingrained in the fabric of the business. It's one reason why uh, the industry struggles with having the highest percentage of uh, employees with a clinically diagnosable substance use disorder. It's around 17%, which is higher than construction. It's higher than medical. It's higher than any other industry. Um, and when I first uh, started my recovery journey, I realized that this was back in 2017, I realized that um, I could no longer work in the hospitality industry. Some people are able to do it. Uh, I unfortunately could not uh, because it was a place where um, I did a lot of my uh, use, um, a lot of my alcohol use. And so I left and I went into digital healthcare. Um, I first did a recovery coach training. I went to, to UMass Boston and and did their LADC, their Licensed Alcoholic Drug Counseling Program. Um, and I realized um, that a lot of the people that I was working with when I was um, a recovery coach uh, at a, a digital healthcare company was uh, a lot of people struggled with travel. A lot of people didn't do it uh, for the first couple of years. They were told, you know, advised kind of stay away from traveling, you know, maybe don't visit that family in California uh, for the first year or two, you know, don't go to those weddings. They're too tempting. Uh, so a lot of people either didn't travel or they did travel and they struggled, they relapsed um, or just didn't really enjoy themselves. And I thought to myself, you know, there are things that can be done on the hospitality side of things operationally that really don't cost a lot of money um, and to to decrease the stress of uh, the hospitality and travel uh, environment for individuals in recovery and with other uh, mental health issues. 
and there are also things from the digital healthcare and the customer, uh, the traveler-facing side of uh, side of the equation, that can be done to what I call is like build opportunities for resistance or increase opportunities for resistance, and so that decreasing stress and increase the increasing the opportunities to build resistance that decreases the likelihood of of relapse, and so that's what I've tried to create a solution to to do. Um, and uh, you know, I'm doing it with Recover Hospitality, working both li- both with clients and travelers um, from a travel agent perspective, and then with the businesses on a consulting basis. That's great. So, give me an example for that person who, let's imagine, they went off to a treatment program and they've got 60 days of recovery time and their family is approaching April vacation, and that was traditionally a time that they all traveled together, what kind of advice would you offer this family who travel had always been part of the glue of their family experience and yet understand the dangers of the pitfalls of traveling? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a good question. the first thing I would recommend, if possible, is bring a sober friend, bring a sober companion. Um, that is certainly the the number one recommendation. If that isn't an option, uh, you know, make sure to pick a destination that mimics the um, individual who's in recovery, mim- mimics their wellness routine. So, is closer to meetings that they might uh, attend. You know, has a, a good wellness program, wellness amenities call ahead, um, ask the hotel to empty the minibar, pick restaurants um, that have good non-alcoholic beverage offerings, um, and also work with the travel agent. You know, travel agents can do a lot of that research for you and a lot of that legwork. Um, So those are some of my recommendations. So it it would strike me as that it could be an awkward conversation with some travel agents. So I love the idea that you're doing this, but how do you approach this as a consumer to say, oh, and by the way, I'm looking for some kind of travel that doesn't include alcohol. What, you know, what kind of trips? Yeah. Uh, So active wellness, there is a gigantic amount of resources out there for active wellness. So that's, um, you know, whether it's skiing or rock climbing, or it could just be yoga, going to a spa. Um, There are a lot of active wellness um, trips out there. And there are travel agents that do specialize in active wellness. Um, There typically is an alcohol component to those trips. Uh, So, you know, but one of the important things to keep in mind is that these days people aren't drinking for a variety of reasons. And um, there's, you know, no need to explain to the travel agent or explain to the hotel why someone doesn't drink. They shouldn't be asking that question. It's like, you know, if you needed a a refrigerator, an extra mini fridge in your room for insulin, for, you know, diabetes medication, you're just going to ask for that fridge. You're not going to say, well, I need a fridge for my medication. And they're certainly not going to ask why you need the fridge. Um, If you just say, hey, I need the fridge for medical reasons, and that's enough. Um, If the 
venue or the travel agent is really asking you too many questions, then maybe they're not the right fit. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to me. So I'm accumulating data here, active adventure sort of vacations that include a wellness component, advocate for having the mini bar removed or alcohol removed from the mini bar. Um, are there certain kinds of trips that you would just say, in general, you want to stay away from? And are there kinds of trips that you would say, in general, go for it? Certain locations, certain destinations? Uh, great question. So as far as the trips to avoid, um, anything where drinking is the main activity, uh, cruises can be uh, very stressful for individuals. Uh, going to Las Vegas might be difficult, even though going to Las Vegas, there are tons of other things to do. Um, if Vegas or maybe New York City or some destination, maybe it's Miami, where the traveler used to go and do a lot of their drinking. So it's it's case by case basis. I'm not going to say, you know, this one particular location or this one particular type of trip isn't good for everybody. It's definitely on an individualized basis. Um, I do have uh, specific packages in the Berkshires in Western Massachusetts, which is a great uh, wellness focused destination for both uh, individuals living in Boston and New York City. It's only about two and a half hours from uh, New York City and two hours from from Boston and tons of wellness um, activities and amenities, a really strong recovery community as well. So that is one destination that's often overlooked that has a lot of um, uh, a lot of potential for recovery focused travel. That's great. That's great. So let's imagine you're a mom who got out of treatment recently for a substance use disorder and you had planned a trip to Disney and Disney does not strike you as a place that will trigger you to use substances. What kinds of other considerations would you ask that mom before booking that Disney trip? Um, one thing I would ask is you do want to plan for, you know, have some sort of crisis intervention plan. So if that um, parent is very new to um, the, you know, new to recovery, you may want, you know, to know uh, what's going to happen if, you know, she isn't answering uh, her phone for an hour or two hours, or if she's on maybe a, a breathalyzer monitoring program uh, like Backtrack or Soberlink, or I use uh, Dynamic Care Health, um, you know, if that individual isn't taking those tests, what's, what's going to happen? It's also great to have a third party monitoring those, uh, uh, those accountability platforms so it's not the family. Uh, if a family member is monitoring, then that does tend to create quite a bit of conflict. But Diane, I'm glad you mentioned Disney. Disney's actually a really great place because it's very difficult to find alcohol in the theme park. Um, and Disney is very accommodating to specific dietary restrictions. And speaking of other mental health issues, they have a program for children on the autism spectrum as well. So they are known, Disney's known for being very accommodating uh, to mental health concerns. 
That's great to know. I mean, there's a part of me that wonders if, you know, just the stress of Disney would be a reason to stay away. But I like the idea that it's accommodating and making it a welcoming place for everybody, not just our neurotypical and mentally easy folks. <laughs> what other kinds of things would you suggest to families or do you work with the spouses or other family members who are potentially traveling with somebody in recovery do you give them tips as well i do because oftentimes the person who's in recovery may not be the one who is really open to receiving the support um, but the parents still want to take them on a trip. So it, it's really important that when, um, a f you know, when family members are traveling together, that everybody really does have their own support. It's, it's great to rely on each other, but when things happen, um, it is beneficial that the family have maybe a family coach or their own therapist that they can reach out to. So I definitely uh, advocate for individuals having their own support when, when they do travel. So what I'm hearing is that you think the best plan is number one, planning for the idea that you, have mm. you need a recovery outlet or a mental wellness feature if you are struggling with any one of those disorders. So beyond the plan and including in that plan would be support people for everybody, basically, not just the person who's traveling, but potentially for the family as well, should they encounter pitfalls. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. Uh, yes, that da Diana, that's absolutely, absolutely correct. And, you know, also keeping in mind that sometimes the best way to support your loved one is to support yourself. So, you know, making sure to schedule, um, you know, if it's the parents of the individual in recovery, making sure to schedule self-care for them, you know, do a, a massage or, you know, a dinner that's just the two, you know, just the two parents, for example, um, you know, it really is important that um, individuals uh, you know, participate in their own self-care and not concentrate too much on monitoring the individual who's in recovery. You mean this doesn't make for a good vacation? <laughs> uh, usually not for anyone involved. Right, right. So as a loved one who is you know, let's say they're going on vacation with their newly or even long-term recovery. Do you have advice for them other than get your own support? Um, so definitely, you know, focus on supporting themselves. Um, but, you know, I would say, tr you know, trust is a big one. Um, start small. So if that individual is in longer term recovery, then maybe, you know, that that week long vacation, uh, ski vacation or beach vacation could be good. But it, it is good to start with uh, a night, you know, driving somewhere for an overnight, uh, you know, starting small is definitely, um, you know, I would recommend. That makes complete sense. So that you're not stuck on an island remotely with somebody who is beginning to be symptomatic. Have you had those situations happen where somebody who you've been working with goes on this vacation and slides? Sure. 
Yes, it, it, it happens. Um, you know, air travel can be very triggering for people. Um, you know, just the, the fact that the airport is a place where it's totally acceptable to drink at 7.30 in the morning. Uh, and people are still, you know, have serious anxiety around flying that may not be uh, tied towards substance use. So air travel can be very difficult. And, um, you know, it, the airports, you know, with club lounges, with free drinks on flights uh, can be very, I don't, you know, the word hostile kind of comes to mind, um, you know, hostile environments for, for people, especially in early recovery. But it does happen, and those kind of crisis management relapse plans that I was talking about earlier are, are very important. You know, what does happen if someone does relapse? Is a sober companion called to go and get them? Uh, are they to go into detox, you know, where they are and not necessarily get them back home first? You know, those are all things that are discussed typically before someone goes on a trip. So smart to have both a travel enjoyment plan and an emergency plan. So any other tips you would like families to know or business people to know about travel when you are somebody who needs to be cautious about their mental health and well-being? Um, do your research and also pay attention to um, your diversion from your regular routine before the trip. So I've seen individuals um, show significant warning signs days before they leave. Um, and if that's the case, you know, you hear a lot that the relapse starts before the first drink. And that's especially true, or the first use, you know, that's especially true because we're not just talking about alcohol. Um, that's especially true when people travel. They do show a lot of signs, uh, you know, straying from someone's routine, not, you know, missing that breathalyzer test or not going to their normal meeting several days before the trip. That can be some warning signs, to, warning signs as well. Um, so I do recommend, this is very practical, get travel insurance. Um, you know, so get travel insurance that will enable you to uh, cancel the trip if these things happen. And don't be afraid to do that uh, either. Um, so don't be afraid to, to cancel the trip if you think something's going, going wrong. Thank you. So do you travel now? You're a man in long-term recovery. Do you travel a lot? Uh, yes, uh, I do. I'm actually headed to Bermuda in two weeks for about six days uh, for a golfing trip. Great, great. Well, thank you. I hope you have a great trip to Bermuda. It must be enjoyable um, this time of year. I've not been. So thank you, Alex Brown, founder and principal of Recover Hospitality. For our listeners, if you've enjoyed this episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast, please like us on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Balance Sheet a podcast designed to help advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families solve some of their biggest medical, psychiatric, and emotional challenges. Visit beyondthebalancesheet.com to read more about our guests and resources and sign up for our newsletter.